Hello, everyone. I'm Al Daldegan, creator and producer of the Leaders, Innovators, and Big Ideas podcast, supported by Rainforest Alberta. This podcast showcases the people who are working to improve Alberta's innovation ecosystem. Hey, loyal listeners. I'll be hosting this episode myself. I've been involved in software development for more than 25 years. I've started companies, led companies, and worked for companies, doing many different things. I'm honored to be considered a leader in Alberta's innovation ecosystem, and I give back as much and as often as I can. When I'm not working or podcasting, you'll find me pursuing my passions of photography, crypto investing, and woodworking, along with the occasional round of golf. Join me for my first Where Are They Now episode with Jim Gibson as we learn about change and how to approach it with positivity. Hey everybody, welcome to the Leaders, Innovators and Big Ideas podcast for Rainforest Alberta. I have a very special guest today, Jim Gibson, who, if you remember, has been on an episode back in September of 2019, episode 32, if you want to go back and check it out. And this is a first of a new series that I want to do on kind of where are they now and see where things have gone. So, Jim, thanks for joining me. Oh, my pleasure. It's we were just laughing about how long ago it was, you know, three years is, is a long time. So I'm delighted to be back, as you know. So yeah. big, big fan of this. And, and you know, we've talked at events and, and, and on email and stuff like that. And a lot has happened since that episode. So I was thinking was maybe what we could do, because if they want to, if they want to hear your life story, they can go back to episode 32. But let's talk about since September 2019, all the c- cool things that have happened. And let's not forget to talk about your new book, if you're open to talking. Oh, about. Th- thank you. And we should <laughs> mention, as you'll hear in the old episode 32, that Jim Gibson wrote a book called Tip of the Spear, which has been a very successful publication. And it's got lots and lots of information. And I want to hear all about the new book as well. So let's let's kind of roll back the clock a little bit and hear where you got since then. So thanks. Thanks, Al. I think from, the, you know, if I draw a line from S- September 2019, you know, I think all of us can imagine what's happened in the last couple of years. It's been a really interesting journey around there. But but let, let me just connect a couple of dots. I think I think many of you know the work that we we did with my founders, James Lockery and Greg Hart, when we started Thin Air Labs. As we fast forward through that, as, as, as James came and really started to lean into the, the capital acquisition strategy and moving that forward and building the traction services team and, and the funding catalyst team, it really became clear that, that, that the capital acquisition and the capital strategy was really a, a very clear focus for for James and 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 that combined with what happened in for me in 2020 really is is you know my conclusion was was I need to focus on some things around the talents story and James and his team are doing a great job at, at, at driving a thin I can't do both and so James is doing a great job of building that team and and onward and 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 I keep very very close to what's going on there but my real passion and and work that I'm doing now is is what happened in the spring and summer and then ultimately the fall of 2020, which was an extraordinary year for all of us as we dealt with the beginning of the pandemic. So I get this email, Al, in March, April of 2020, and it was titled, you know, Chief Catalyst. And it was from a recruiter. And we all get, you know, we all get messages from recruiters. 
But as I tell the story, I mean, you can't not open an email that says Chief Catalyst, you know, you know, you know, imagine the, the job of the future. And, and so I, I did what I didn't think I'd ever do. I double clicked on it and opened it up and it was no word of a lie. It was as though somebody had took my a pen from my brain and said, what would be the ideal job for somebody at this stage of my career, my, my history, what I know, what I don't know and what I want to do and wrote it out in a job description. And the folks at Accenture and the search firm, Goldwell, put this together and it was for SAIT. It was for the brand new school of, of School of Advanced Digital Technology to lead the brand new organization as the result of a $30 million gift from David Bissett, the foundational gift to, to transform, you know, let's get busy and get real on building digital talent in, in Calgary. So I, <laughs> I read this and went, I got to I got to go through this process, even though I was in the midst of thin air and like the awesome people there. I said, I got to take this, take this forward. So and to close that story, I went through the process, met some amazing people at Satan and, you know, went to my partners and said, you guys got the capital side figured out. That's not where I let's let's go to the other pillar of an ecosystem, which is talent. And let's see if I can help and make some changes. And so. I started full-time in, in uh, September, October of 2020 at, at SADT uh, at SAIT. It was an absolutely brilliant choice, whoever came up with the idea of reaching out to you. I mean, that's that's second only to somebody saying, hey, Jim, we want you. Create a job for yourself. I mean, it was it was almost partially that, wasn't it? It was. And and at, again, at this, at this stage of your, you, you know... I'm, I'm, I like to say, Alan, you've heard me say, and I'm, I'm on the third period of my of of, of on the ice. I, you know, they just dropped the puck on the third period. It's not too late in the game, but I, I'm at that stage where where you know what you know, you know what you're good at, you're confident in what you, but you also know what you don't know, and you know what, what where you need to stay away from. And I felt confident enough in, in, in what we were doing and, and my role in the ecosystem to say, and, and to the to Sate's absolute credit, they said, Jim, what we're hiring you for, bringing you in, is you're not an academic. You're, you, you don't even know that world, which is crazy, which I'll tell you about all of that. It's awesome. But what we want is, is for us to be connected to the world of, of the future and the world of digital in the world of tech, and we, we're we love you, Jim, but we're actually hiring you for who you know. And haha, I mean, it's more than that. But but to some extent, that's that 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 is true. And I've been I've been operating in that mode mode ever since. And so. I gotta just say, like, how forward thinking of state, like you know, Mount Royal University and and University of Calgary, they're always trying to have research areas and things like that, trying to kind of look forward to you know, some of the bleeding, well, maybe not bleeding edge, but some of the modern technologies and stuff, but their programs don't really change, right? And it, and it's hard to change a program like that. But when you look at SAIT and they're, they're still stuck with a lot of regulation and things like that, that they have to follow around. But outside of that, they're still going, how do we, how do we embrace the future before it's too late? And, bef- you know, how do we get on top of this? And and this is, I'm, I'm really impressed, you know, and I've always been impressed with SAIT in, in general from the fact that it was it was more of a trade school focused on, you know, getting things done that, that are outside of doctors and computer scientists and, and uh, lawyers and whatever. They, they've always sort of fulfilled that need for everybody else. And I always really like that. But 
this just made me realize how forward thinking and advanced at least they want to be, whether they actually are or not. I, I, I've heard some comments about how they, they're like, let's do this. And then wait, that's, that's too difficult or too scary. Let's hold back a bit or whatever. But yeah, no, Al, I think you, I, I think you portrayed that absolutely correctly. I think Satan, Satan recognized fairly quickly that it, it, it has a leading leadership role in the diversification and transformation of the economy. And, and I think what I've learned over the last couple of years, in a year and a half, is there's a continuum in post-secondary. There's a continuum of, of we need, at, you know, every innovation ecosystem needs that anchor research. You know, Stanford, MIT, we need that. We need U of C and U of A to be driving that, that edge and being, being supported to do that. And because that's where it happens. That's, the, that's, that's how that works. But applied learning and applied education is is actually the tip, you know, to use the word, tip of the spear of how transformation actually happens. So as you look at the trades and skills and, and the work that happens in real companies and real jobs, that's impacted first. That's where the that's where that, you know, that that oil and gas worker who has a chemical engineering degree and has been doing this all along, they're the ones that all of a sudden when transformation in energy happens, they get they get affected first. So SAIT's able to respond because our, our programming approach, our programmatic approach is everything from, you know, micro-credentials on our non-credit side all the way through into diplomas of two years and some degrees of length. But you can iterate a little bit more quickly in that, in that milieu versus, you know, the degree changes that, that have to come. So I don't see it as an or, again, you know me, right? It's that and. And I think... I think they recognized in bringing me on board is that that this new economy, the new technology companies, the, the world you and I are have been living in, is needs some connectivity. They really weren't highly connected to that world. All due respect, I mean, they were they were very busy, build, you know, pump, pumping out the people that the industry needed. But as the tech industry really started to explode, they they weren't there. They really weren't there yet in in a meaningful way. Lots of Lots of initiatives, but I think I think I catalyzed that a little bit with with my team and, and the work that's happening. In it. I want to touch on one little thing before we talk a little bit further about sort of like the the ecosystem and and the training of people and all that. But before I go there, when you when you got into this catalyzed chief catalyst for Sate position, tell me a little bit about imposter syndrome. Are you over that now at your age? Not that you're an old fella or anything, but you've been around. You said you're on your third dropped a puck on your third period. How you how do you how does that make you feel when you jump into a position like this, which you're clearly suited for, and, and I'm sure you believe you are, and you've already already done an amazing job on it. But when you first landed here, was there was there some moments of oh crap, what did I just do? Oh, oh yeah, the great, great question for sure, and I, absolutely. I think as I look back on my career, and it's a and it's a good reflection. Al, in real time, I'd say I've never been in a situation where I went, "This isn't what I'm I'm I come from," and both both challenging and and imposter syndrome like, but also just filled with opportunity, right? So in those situations, you have to you have to you have to really be confident. And I, I'll tell you, the first year was 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 challenging. But it turns out it was not challenging because the institution was 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 not like me or I wasn't like them. We we're standing up a brand new school in the middle of a pandemic. I was trying to build a team. So you, you think about just the leadership challenges of standing up a team. When I I 
my, I'm a dean level, and, and I, I hadn't met any of my other deans in person for literally nine, ten months. And so, so I think it go back, go, the challenge is, yes, institutional me jumping into, into a deep pond of which I didn't know, but I think the challenges were harder from, from the challenges of, of building culture and team within a, within a distant organization. That was really, really hard. And, I, and it's actually only on reflection that I realized how hard it was. Our team now is, is, is fully formed. We've made a bunch of changes, and I'll, we can talk about that if you want. But it was actually that, that, that challenge. But yeah, there's, there, and there were moments of going, holy, this, this, what about this? What, what about this picture? It doesn't look the same, right? And that's Jim, right? So anyways. Yeah, we've talked on this podcast quite a bit about imposter syndrome over the last few years. And I know when when it's a new person just coming out of school or somebody pivoting their career from whatever they were doing before and, and starting a new position or whatever, there's this imposter syndrome where you feel like, how long is it going to be before they find out I'm a fraud and I can't do this job? And some people go through that for a long, long, long time. And then all of a sudden they just wake up one day and realize, oh, I'm actually pretty good at this. And I, I imagine you know, like you, you've sort of addressed already that you're, you're looking at it from a little bit of a different lens. You're kind of going, look at all this stuff we can do. Like we have, yeah. we have this opportunity here to do all these great things and change the way things like I, I, I'll say change the world, but in some small way, we are changing the world. And, and, and you, instead of focusing on whether you can do the job or not and, and feeling like you're not in the right place, you sort of take the attitude of, oh, this is cool. What can we do with this? Yeah, and I think I'll just add to that, and which you're spot on is the team we built as well. Just is is humbling, um, and and yeah, it's 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 the let me I'll connect the dots just in terms of the journey because this is where are they now. So the journey started with me joining SADT, School for Advanced Digital Technology, brand new school in October of 2020. The challenge on that was. Several fold, but but not the least of which was there was an existing school called the School of Information and Communications Technology, ICT, headed by the amazing Dr. Rainey Wood, who's been at SAIT for 20 years. She knows all of this. She's like, she's, she's a dean. Like, she's somebody who knows exactly how this game works. And she's kind of looking, going, okay, well, that, let's do the experiment on this new school. And Jim, welcome. And she was great. But at, at, you just realize that that, you know, are we the school for advanced technology and Rainey School is something else? And so from a brand perspective, I think we realized that there was a bit of a challenge there. And I think to SAIT's leadership credit, they went, okay, we kind of get, we, let's rethink this a little bit. And, and the pandemic gave us a bit of that opportunity because we weren't standing up a whole bunch of students. We weren't having people mashing through the doors of Oddfellows. It was, it was quite quiet, right? It just, it was all online. And so to their credit, they merged, this, the, not quite a year ago, eight months ago, they merged the schools. And so Rainey and I looked at each other and said, well, let's run this together and I'll be external and, and you be internal and, or a little bit of both. And then at some point in time, we went, no, Rainey, you're, you run schools. That's what you do best. And let's, let's give you the oomph of SADT. And I said to the leadership of SAID, I said, let's go back to my title. What does a catalyst do? And what we recognized is the job actually was to catalyze all of SAIT. Is that the the digital transformation isn't just in building software engineers. It's about 
looking at the School of Hospitality and Tourism and understanding the role of digital supply chains and fork to table and what does that mean from a digital transformation or School of Health and Public Safety on health informatics and or you know School of Construction using XR, VR, blah, 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 blah. And all of a sudden our team went and, and, the, and the leadership went, that's where Gibson and team needs to be, is to be in service, catalyze all this amazing stuff that's happening in the individual schools. And when that happened, like the penny just dropped, it was like, okay, Rainy, go, you know, do what you do. And here's a whole bunch more resources. Go, go rock and roll and do what you do really well. And then sit, build my team around working with all eight schools and, and help them work in service. Because if you're a, if you're a professor or a, a, a faculty member, an instructor at school of construction, you're so busy, right? You, you rarely have time to reimagine your program, you, let alone keep up with the technology. And so what the Catalyst Group can do is help surround these amazing resources within Seder and, and bring the best of our knowledge from the ecosystem and say, hey, let us help you move that forward. And it's been great. So we're, so anyways, the long story, my team has been built around the transformation of, of all of that, building experiments, building transformation mindsets and, and working with all the schools. Ton of fun, ton of fun. How's the, I, I probably can guess the answer to this, but how have the, uh, the leaders of each of the different schools been either on board or off board with this kind of idea? Have they been pretty open-minded or has it been a mix or? It's been a, it's been a mix, but less because some, you know, nobody's going, no, I don't want to do that. Everybody knows that this stuff is coming. There's just, there's moments in academic reimagining that are better than others, right? As you look at the journey as, for example, our school of business is Janet Segato, who's the dean, and, and her academic chair basically said, we need to be in the fintech space big time. So what are we, you know, what are we going to do? And so they, you know, they talked to the government and they fast-tracked this, the, you know, basically adding on to the BD, adding on to the, the, the degree a fintech major. Well, okay, that's a, that's a moment where the Catalyst Group brings our network of all the folks, you know, all the folks in fintech, every, everything, all of our friends and said, hey, you cats, get in and help Janet and her, and her team in understanding how to do that. Well, that was the perfect timing for us to support. And, and again, in service of their process, here's our network. That's the ecosystem coming in and, and fast tracking. And, and really, I'm, I say to my colleagues in the ecosystem, if you want talent, you got to lean in. You got to put up your hand and say, I'm going to help the institutions move, move at a pace and, and really look at what's coming versus kind of crossing your arms and going, well, what have you done for me lately? And I, I don't want to get too controversial here, but it's, there's a, you got to give in rainforest philosophy, you got to give and, and you got to, you got to give before you take. And so, you know, this was a perfect catalyzing opportunity. So that's an example to answer your question. Some of the schools are just at a different place. I think all of them have said, yes, please. You know. But, you're, but to, you know, the, the, the clear answer to that is you're in support of them. So when they, when, they, when they recognize that they need to go there, you can help get there. It's not like you're enforcing it. You're not walking into the next department and going, okay, construction group, this is what we're going to do now. And then they're like, wait, wait, wait. Yeah, you got it. That's that's precise. I I and I and and my team, you know, we talk a lot about that humility, right? That that 
that that idea that 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 knowledge, that domain knowledge of understanding construction or advanced manufacturing or you know even the school of business is is that exists there. It does. What what the worst thing we could do is go. Well, the catalyst group is going to go off and design some digital digital mindset strategy or something. That's just that doesn't work, right? And so what we're doing is just cat, like, go right to the term. What does a catalytic, you know, thing do? It, it, it speeds the, the chain of reaction without itself being changed. But I think the other thing we're really doing across SAIT, and a couple, most of my team is involved with this, is really the digital mindset. Is is understanding what is it? What do we need to be better digital citizens? And that comes back to my influence on Tip of the Spear, right? And, and, and you recall some of the themes of that book: innovation of ways meets innovation of things. And that's I'm I'm leaning in hard on that one as a cross state initiative to say how do we build and inject students with this notion of being a better digital citizen? What does that mean? So every state graduate comes out and goes, I understand what it means to, to be agile, to be, you know, safe and secure. A law number two of the three laws was, and boy, oh boy, watching the world right now, I don't think I was, you know, I didn't predict the future. I was just observing of the trends, but I'll tell you, the genie back in the bottle law number two has proven to be absolutely critical because, you know, I look at my colleagues and, and the question is, just because we can doesn't mean we should. And what does it mean to build new technologies with that ethical framework? Well, let's think about it. I don't, I, I don't have the answer, but I think if you don't even think about it, you're going to just, you know, you're going to extract, you know, stuff. And so, so that's been, you know, it's funny, Ali, that you bring up the book is, is I realize how much that's influenced my philosophy on how we deliver some of the work in programming and the team philosophy at the catalyst group that's it so it's, it's good that just means the content of the book is is valid and applicable in real or, life or worse <laughs> worse is all you have is a hammer everything looks like a nail so i i like to think it's the former right i don't i don't i, I think that the the lessons are resonating so i want to talk about the idea for the new book but before we do that i just want to see like what are your thoughts on this Obviously, we talk quite a bit about SAID and your your catalyze catalyst position, but with with the industry in general, you know, we've we've talked a little bit on the podcast on a, in in past episodes about the fact that there's there's this big shortage of tech talent, and so a lot of the schools and institutions and boot camps and those sorts of things are trying to pump out all these new people, but the new people are new to it. And everybody want all the companies seem to want to hire, you know, senior people that can just hit the ground and take the take things forward. What's your what's your thoughts on that? The new definition of a unicorn isn't a company that's a billion. It's the senior developer that has, you know, comes directly out of a university. Right? It's it's just not it's not possible. And so so what I've learned is 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 this, and I, and this is humbly informed by conversations and understanding the challenges of both private delivery of education, i.e. the work that, you know, Inception and, and fabulous folks over there and the work that you're doing and the work that, and the public sector. I think number the, the number one point that I've learned is that employers and talent providers, however, where that, wherever that comes from, 
have to get together and understand competencies. What are those competencies that we're looking for? And they have to do it in the spirit of work integrated, like work integrated learning. So what I mean by that is, is at best, um, and I'll, you know, I'll, you know, if Rainey was here, you know, our head of, our head of uh, ICT or, e- or even Margot from Inception or, or, or Jeanette from MedJob or whatever, we're going to get somebody 70% of the way there. I just all due respect. But what we need to do is then bring in the employers to, and employers, our tech firms or whomever and go, listen, we need to give you opportunities for your seniors and intermediates to do mentoring first step. That's what good, you know, circular employment does. So give them that opportunity, but, but create projects that are meaningful in, in the moment. So creating this finishing program that allows the, you know, get us to 70% and let's work together to get us to, you know, 80, 90% and let's get busy. But here's, here's where I get a little more gym controversial is employers have to have skin in the game because here's the problem is that we go, I'm going to spin up a bunch of this stuff and nah, well, you know, I'll take one out of 10 or two out of, well, you know what? That doesn't work because those economics, as you, you actually know better than most, the economics of doing work integrated experiential learning is expensive and it's time consuming both for the student and for the provider. And so I'm going, okay, well, you guys, Let's work together on this and say, we'll do our best together and let's work on this with, with good intent, but I need some commitments, you know, and, and, you know, that's, and I'll, I'll have that one-on-one with any HR or leader of people in any of the business say, we got to put, we got to work on this together. So that's my, that's my entrepreneurial hat going, saying, let's share the risk on this. You can't just keep asking for senior people when senior people don't exist. And the ones that do exist there with this new remote working kind of thing can work anywhere in the world. They can be hired in Europe. They can be hired in the United States, Silicon Valley. They're getting massive amounts of money because there's such a shortage of those people. So now instead of throwing massive amounts of money at senior people, maybe half massive amounts of money, let's throw it towards junior people. And then in five years from now, there'll be a lot more available talent in the industry. Like we, like you exactly just said, Put a little bit of short-term pain and a little bit of money into right now, and then in the future there'll be ample opportunity for everybody. That's that's the hope. That's the hope, and and that's you know that's you know as I I listen to my friends over in continuing education, and I talked talk to you, and I talked to Margot, and I talked to all those folks. You know we're doing our best. You know the micro credentialing aspects of of that combined with experiential learning, but it, it it's it's not this. You know, here's, you know, pass the baton. It's your problem. It doesn't work that way. It, and, and let's go back to another rainforest. Let's go right back to the essence of the rainforest is trust. Trust equals velocity. If we want to, we got to shrink this problem from five years to three years or two years. We have to trust. We have to trust that the intent is good. And so, you know me, right? And trust is velocity. It's my, it's my, I'm going to build t-shirts on that because it's true. If I trust that the employer or the, the, the group that's looking for, if they trust that we're working on this with good intent and doing our best, it's, it's, that's how things move. So now, I don't want to go down that hole, but boy, oh boy, it comes through cloud and clear. If you want to move fast, you got to trust. And if, if, if anybody's listening to this podcast that has any sort of influence or they're with the government, one of my 
biggest pet peeves these days is the government is spending millions of dollars funding all these programs to train people, to retrain people into becoming tech enabled, but they haven't hired a single person from any of their own programs. Like they need to learn to eat their own dog food. I mean, the government does a lot of software development. The, the government does a lot of tech and all they're just hiring these big corporations to build their software for them. And they're doing a real crappy job of it. Whereas they've got these passionate people that have got, taken the program that was funded by the government and now they're a software developer or a data analyst or whatever. And they're super passionate and excited to get going. And the government just ignores them completely. Because if you go to a government job site, they must have five years experience. They must have a university degree in computer science or whatever it is. And it's just completely mind boggling how they can be that disconnected. So, you know, that's a that's a long that's another podcast. And, and I and I agree mostly on that. It goes back again. It goes you know, that's an innovational ways problem versus things. We can build all the, the, the programs and that's the thing. But the ways is about how employers, small, medium, and massive, rethink the way jobs are defined and how we actually move people through from, from junior, intermediate, and senior. And using mentoring, using, using work-integrated learning, using all these things. Employers need to rethink how they create and build their job classifications and their job. You know, we talk about role portfolios versus jobs. And, and so that's a hard nut for government and bureaucracies to do, but I challenge them like you do, challenge them to start taking some risks on some of these folks. Anyways, let's, we can, we can talk about that one for a long time. No, but that's, that's, that's really great. I, I, we're clearly aligned on that. And I hope there's a lot of other people that are aligned on that as well. Okay, Jim, Let's let's talk about the new book. What's the catalyst for the new book and how's that going along? So, you know, thank you for asking. I appreciate it. And, and, and Al, just for the audience, you know, I was on a panel and I actually announced the kind of the first first time ever publicly about three weeks ago on, on what my new book was about. And it shocked me that I actually talked about it because there's, there's this, as a writer, I've learned that, that you're, the greatest thing is, the greatest fear is not that, that, that you write a bad book or whatever is that you don't have anything to say. And so you're very careful on your thesis because people may go, well, that's not interesting. Anyways, so I'm, I'm, I'm actually just about to take a two-week writing retreat, my second of the year, to, to really crack the, the last part of this. So the thesis, you know, I've been very quiet in, as a writer in observing the behaviors of our world through COVID. Um, as I've watched... The, the institutional and human reaction to something that was, you know, on, on a scale never seen before. And so, you know, I've been quite, I've been observing and reading and thinking and stuff, but I haven't written. So the hard drive is full of, of ideas. And I just, I didn't want to be, well, here's another writer opining about the future of work or the future of whatever. And, and what, what occurred to me, Al, as, as I was observing is, is, is the, the the pandemic and and the and, and and what's happened with our 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 conversations with each other, both on a on a very personal level in our families, our work, and, and across the world, have 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 been altered. I think more than than we think, and I think that we've 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 not understood the fact that at the core, human beings are are have some base base things like we're we're. As my friend likes to say, we're shaved apes, right? We're just 
out of the trees, right? We're actually not that evolved as we think we are. There's some base level reactions. And one of those is, is how we show up as human beings in, in, in this conversation that you and I are having, in our families and so forth. And what the pandemic did, and, and it started to tear a little bit at, at who we are as, as people and how we show up. And, and, and so that got me thinking about this concept of, of presence. And, and so the, the, the working title of the book is called The Future of Presence. And it's this idea that, that there, is, there is a coming, there's, some ten, there's a real pulls and tension about how we show up as human beings in our everyday lives. But it's also going to, as because I've been in the world of technology for a long time, I really want to pull on the thread of let's just look a little bit into the future five to 10 years, as I look at XR, Metaverse, all those kinds of things, as I look at AI as it starts to create a second version of Al or a third version of Al or something that I want it to be. And so what's going to happen is as we pull on the tension of being present, we're actually going to be pulled in ways that we've never even imagined. As I like to say, we're in the 2400 baud, 1200 baud modem stage of, of, of technologies around anytime, anywhere. So Zoom and Teams is like a dial-up modem back in, in the mid-90s. And so what, what's happening is that we're going to start to see presence capabilities that really push our boundaries as human beings. So at, when Al shows up in a meeting, is it Al? Is it actually Al's doppelganger is AI? And, but what does it mean to be present now? As, as, as I go back to my thesis, is we haven't really changed that much as human beings. And so I want to explore this notion that COVID was a tipping point or, or an edge in a peer into how a global system can, can be rocked by something like that. And technology was both good and bad in solving it. Okay, now let's just take that forward. So that's what the book's going to do, the future of where we are as human beings. Bit meaty, bit heavy. You can see it's a needs a little shaping because it takes me fifteen minutes to describe it. But that's what that's where I'm at in the process. Yep, I'm about you know a book needs to be about eighty ninety thousand words plus or minus. So I cracked I cracked kind of fifteen thousand of it and and really spent a lot of time on the outline. So I'm gonna dig in as I like to tell people. I write in my head. And so, like, I literally have a word processor in my head as I fall asleep. I don't just think about things. I actually put paragraphs on pages in my brain. I'm really weird that way. So when I sit down to a keyboard, it just flies out. And so my theory is that I'm going away for a couple of weeks by myself. And- no, that's absolutely brilliant. And so where would so if, if people want to follow your, you know, when you launch your book and all that, is, is it, what's the best place for them to go to kind of keep updated? Thank you. So what I'm going to do is the same as I did for Tip of the Spear. Is is I'm going to start blogging uh, about. I'm going to take some of these bigger pieces and just start getting them out there to kind of let see it, you know, let the dog out and see if it hunts on some of the bigger pieces and chapters of the book. So in Tip of the Spear, I wrote four major blog posts over a series of about four or five months. So over the next six months, you're going to start to see some of that start to show up, and and it, it it'll be on my blog and JimAGibson.com. 
and and I'll start to push that out on social media and, and see what a see what kind of feedback I'm, I'm going to get. So thank you for thank you for asking me. Yeah, so we'll we'll make sure that the links are in the show notes that people want to go there. And I, do you have any sort of a newsletter or anything like that that you've done? No, I, I generally just I just use the, the existing social media and 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 my and so I'm I'm, I'm in LinkedIn and, and Twitter as you know, and so using that. You know, it's funny, Al, I know what it takes to write a book, good, bad, or ugly. And and it's insane that I'm actually trying it again, right? Because I know how difficult it is, how hum- like absolutely deadly humbling it is. Like it really is. It, it's just, you think you've got it nailed and you go, yeah, this is the best sentence I've ever written and, you know, 14 edits later. And you have to be super humble about your writing. And, and you're, you know... And, 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 you know, it, it, it's, it's, you have to get the audience. You have to, people don't read anymore, right? Or they, they don't read as much as they used to. So why would they read another book? Like, and that's my, what I'm really thinking about is, is, yeah, I can put hand puppets and videos and stuff like that. I, I do want people to read, but how do I make it easier? And so I'm working with some folks to say, okay, how does that work? Because people go, yeah, I love your book, but, you know, read the first, you know, chapter or two and then read the end and said okay that's a good book that's not why i'm doing this well there's i mean there's the world of reading is changing you know we have audiobooks nowadays i like audiobooks because they still you still get every single word but it's you don't you can do it while you're driving you don't have to actually sit down so al here's my pitch right so i i didn't do an audiobook for tip of the spear i just got i just i should have so you have the better radio voice so you and i will have a conversation after i'm going to get maybe maybe get al to do my audio book of future present so that would be fun so well jim thanks for joining me today this was a lot of fun it was great to catch up with you after all this time i mean t- september 24th of 2019 that was episode 32 we're on episode i don't know when this will launch but what like we're at like 177 or something congrats along to lines. you and 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 the you know the rainforest has spawned many things and and this these conversations have been fantastic and and the conversations that we're having across the ecosystem not only with with this but but others and and i really appreciate all that you're doing to keep that spirit alive and at the end of the day it's these human conversations this presence that we have together that that moves the needle so i appreciate it very much what you're doing all right everyone tune in next week tuesday mornings is when the new episodes enter the feed. If you want to become a host, a guest, or a sponsor of the podcast, please visit libby.ca, L-I-B-I.ca, and you can get all the information you require. All right. Take care, everyone. Cheers. If you haven't already, visit rainforestab.ca and sign the Rainforest Social Contract. Become part of the inclusive, silo-busting, sector-agnostic, all-industry, open-sourced, ego-shrinking, ecosystem-building, entrepreneur-focused, wide-open, social barrier-smashing community known as Rainforest Alberta. This episode was brought to you by New Idea Machine. We build great custom software while bridging the gap between education and experience. New Idea Machine makes your ideas real. Visit newideamachine.com for more info. Music for the show was created by Tony Deldegan. Please be sure to share this episode with everyone you know. Also, don't forget to come by and say hi at the next Rainforest event. Let us know what you think of this podcast. If you're interested in being either a host, sponsor, or a guest of the show, 
send me an email at rainforestpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. <laughs>